All right, so how's everybody doing tonight? I got After that worship, we need to hear a little bit better. How's everybody doing tonight? Amen. I mean, I had this eight great introduction planned, but after feeling the Holy Spirit in here, I mean, that's all out the window. All of you are the great introduction to this evening to show how God can just take over a room and show how glorious it is. I mean, that, that communion, that worship, that was absolutely beautiful. So I'm so grateful you guys are here. I'm so thankful you joined us at the gathering. My name's Dustin. You guys are stuck with me tonight. <laughs> That's right. You guys drew the short straw. But it's such an honor and a blessing to be up here giving a message on Wednesday and especially about a book like Corinthians. Uh, I'm so excited to be teaching on this. This is one of the books I always look to and try to pull things out of to learn from because they're talking to a church. This is something we get to actually take apart and construct and learn from because they've been through the same struggles and pains. And the first week we had Pastor Jeremy give a message and he gave this great overview of what we're going to start looking into. And he gave you this sheet, and I still have it with me today, of these terms that were going to show up. And the one that just stuck out to me is how we have to be in our faith. We have to be believers. We have to, to move forward and actually believe and trust in this everything moving forward. And how personal he made it. Talking about God chose us. It's as personal as it gets. And last week, J-Rod talked about these divisions in the church and I don't want to tell either him or Jeremy how much they're off with their little rivalry because they mentioned Angels and Dodgers and I have the only good team, which is the Red Sox. So there's not really any divisions in the church, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But we started talking about these divisions and we're following the person giving this message. This is the Apostle Paul. And I think it's awesome to hear him talk because he knows how to go directly into a situation and preach to the people that he's talking to. He knows how to get to the direct message and hit them right into their soul. And he starts off a couple verses ago saying, he is the Apostle Paul, chosen by God. And he is preaching to the people, and he said a couple verses after that, and you are the people chosen by God to be his holy people. This is as personal as it gets. He has this unification with them. He's trying to say, you guys are all together, and now I hear that there's divisions in the church. They're taking away from the message that has been put forth to them, what they built their church upon. They started to take things away because they got in the way of themselves. They got in the way of what God was trying to do. And I think the best way to to start this evening is if we revisit that last verse that we went through last week. So if you can open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to go back to verse 17. And stand if you're able to stand with me. If you don't happen to have your handy Bible with you, we will have it up on the screens. Verse 17. 
For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for making this such an electric evening, that you are in this building tonight, Lord. I ask you to just open hearts, open these closed doors, and just pour into us, Lord. Just take this message and reach some people, Lord. We want to show the true power of the cross and what Paul is talking about. We lift this night up to you. It's your powerful name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. So as I was mentioning, Paul knows how to preach. And I love what he says that He came not with clever speech to preach this gospel. Fortunately for you, I don't have clever speech to preach the gospel, so it looks like I'm straying true to the scripture tonight. But Paul is coming into these people that he helped plant, he helped be with. And the problem what they're doing is this worldly idea is losing the power of what's right in front of me. Losing the power of Of the meaning of the cross. And he gets a chance to minister. He gets a good chance to go back and say, Okay, you've started to mess up. Here I am to fix what's going on. And the only one that can actually fix it is God. So he comes in with this powerful message. That we're going to start our evening in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is so much more than pieces of wood with nails. The cross is so much more than a fashion statement that we wear around. It's so much more than jewelry. It's so much more than decorative piece that we put on the wall just because other people have it in their households. The cross has a meaning. The cross had significance. The church in Corinth has lost what this truly means. And it's our job that we don't do the same thing and fall into what the worldly view of what the cross is and the questions of people have with the cross. And that's where we're going to start tonight because Corinthians is a straightforward book. And the cross has a straightforward meaning. And I'm going to give a simple message about it. So I'd like to break apart. I'd like to have some table talk, and it's a simple question. What does the cross mean to you? What does it represent to you? And I don't want this dictionary answer. And I don't want to be acting like I'm in seminary hearing this fancy theology answer. I want you to be raw. I want you to be true. And I just want you to say whatever comes to your mind, what the cross means to you. So go ahead and take a few moments. We've got some big tables, so I'll take a little extra time. But go ahead and talk about what does a cross mean to you. All right, we're going to go ahead and bring it back together. So what we just said was that the cross is foolish in that last statement. That pains for me to say. That's hard to, that's hard to get out of my mouth. 
And what they're trying to say is that to the outsiders, the naysayers, the ones that don't believe, it's foolish. The ones on the outside looking in don't understand what this cross represents. And in that scripture, he says, well, they're perishing. Because they're not able to see what is right in front of their face. And the rest of us are being saved. Because we're able to look at a cross and say, I understand the power. I understand what God was doing. God's a big God. Some of this stuff is going to be a little bit hard to understand. But like we talked about the first week, if you have faith that it's happening, God's going to take care of the rest. You just have to be the vessel ready to go. What side are, are we on? In uh, verse 19, as scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. It sounds familiar to me. See, Paul is speaking to who? He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the area. And he's telling them, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. The ones that think they're so wise, the ones that put themselves one step ahead of God. They're up on that pedestal. They're telling the congregation what to think. Oh, I think I know a little bit more than God. Let me inform you what's happening right now. I'm smarter than you, you, and you. This is what I believe. And what they're saying is that these people are looking up to leaders, but God's looking down right through them saying, you don't know at all what you're talking about. What gives you the authority to tell me what I'm doing in my ultimate plan? And he reminds them, see, Paul's going back and he, this verse is straight out of the Old Testament. He's showing it's been done before and showing nothing has been learned. As in the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 29, 13, and so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rot. Because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away, and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. Astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders and wisdom of the wise will pass away. I love it how the moment you think you figured everything out, the moment that you begin to put yourself ahead of what God's doing, he'll flip the light and say, let's try this again until you start relying on me. Let's see if you really have your faith going. You may be super intelligent, you may have all the power in the world. But what Paul is saying is that that can work against you. You're stopping relying on what God can do. You say you're a believer. You say you go to church. You say you believe in God's plan. And yet when you look at the cross, yeah, I don't really think that's what should have happened. I have a better idea what should have happened than 
someone dying on the cross. These worldly views kept the outsiders from truly understanding. They kept the ones in the congregation from truly understanding. The wise will fall away. Then in verse 20. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. And it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. These are people in a church. These are the people that Paul ministered to before. These are the ones he left the message of the cross with. And yet he has groups starting up divisions saying, I'm going to follow Peter. I'm going to follow Paul. I'm going to follow Apollos. That's who the Greeks like to follow. They stopped following the principle of the cross so they could start to say, you know, maybe we should have followed Apollos because he knows what he's doing. The Greeks saw this cross and the thought of an executed carpenter by the hands of the Roman Empire, that didn't quite fit their plan of what's supposed to be happening. In their view, that's not what a Savior was supposed to do. Because suddenly they knew more than what God knew. They loved their wisdom, and it didn't seem very wise for it to happen that way. You could say it was very foolish. And then you have the Jewish community that could not relate the work of Jesus on the cross to what they expected from the promised Messiah. They needed power, they loved power. They expected this Messiah to come through, take over the military, and fix everything for them. Perform all these glorious miracles and wonders every second of the day as soon as they wanted them. So in their eyes, death was weakness. That's not the Messiah that they were looking for. That's the Messiah that God has given us. So each side was unhappy. Each side had no common ground, except that they didn't like the plan that was going on, that was given to them, the perfect plan. The the crucifixion of Christ, therefore, offends both parties. One who thinks it's foolish to be weak, and one who thinks it's foolish to not show as much power. Foolish and weakness that when we read in verse 23, so when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. It's disagreeing with God. It's disagreeing and not having faith. It's saying, I'm right. 
he's wrong, all these other believers are wrong, I'm the one you're supposed to be listening to. And I have a quote I'd love to put on there talking about disagreements, and we have this pastor pool that I just made up, so I get bonus points if I use Jeremy's homeboy, C.S. Lewis. So there's a theologian that can say it much better than I could ever dream about. And he says, there is a difficulty about disagreeing with God. He is a source from which all your reasoning power comes from. You could not be right and him be wrong any more than a stream could rise higher than its own source. When you argue against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. That's a mic drop for all those people. You're arguing against the one that created you. You're arguing against the one that had this plan. You're arguing against the being that is perfect. And God just has to sit there and shake his head sometimes. Like, I gave you freedom. I gave you this chance. And it's tough. I understand the world that we're living in, too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not on a pedestal whatsoever. I'm on the lowest lows. And we're going to do one quick table talk. We're not going to spend a lot of time. But you guys are going to get to know your brother and sister right next to you. Because we're going to ask a tough question. In what ways, even as believers, do we think our ways are better than God's ways? Just think back for a quick moment. How have you gotten in the way of what God was trying to do. And this could be anything. This could be a job. You had one way. You thought you had your life all planned out. And God took you a different direction. You're much happier. So let's just spend a couple moments. Two or three minutes at the most. Just see if anyone has any profound to, to share out there. And we can learn from it. So take a couple moments. Alright we're going to bring it back together. We don't kick you guys out after church. So feel free to, to stick around. And revisit some of these conversations. Or get to know the people next to you a little bit more. At the end of the sermon. But disagreeing with God is something I was all too familiar with. I could have been up here a lot earlier in life if I would have been so about Dustin and more about what God was doing. But I know God was using that time that I would realize on my own how much I was getting in the way of Him. And the point is that we're in this building. I'm up here today. We've all gone through trials and tribulations. And yet we all are able to pull through in our partnership with Jesus Christ. So as I was saying, he was shaking his head sometimes, being perplexed how people could do this. But there's always one defining moment. There's a people, as I believe, each and every one of you in this building, and it's representative after the gospel, just losing ourselves in worship, it proves my point that it just takes a few people to realize the power. And in verse 24, but to those called by God to salvation, both the Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Those called by God to salvation, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. It takes that one person in a room to just look at a cross and say, I get it, that's the power of God. 
That's the wisdom of God. Everything He's done for us has helped us and saved us. He gave His one and only Son on our behalf. He died for us upon a cross so that we can have that covenant with God. We can have that togetherness because He loves us. He doesn't want us to perish. He wants us to be saved. He wants us with us. It's breaking their heart to see this division in the church because all they can see is the nose in front of their face. But Christ's work goes straight to the root of the evil of the world, the past, present, and future. Christ takes care of it all. All the pain, the suffering, the sins, the problems, the negativity, the rebellion, the deceit. Christ took care of all of it for us. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty darn powerful to me. He's given us freedom. He has given us a life to love because of the love he had for us. In verse 25, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, or powerful, or wealthy, when God called you. Let that humble you for a moment. God is stronger than us. God is smarter than us, and amen for that. God is our protector, and God is for us. He is God, He is all-knowing, He is all-powerful. He's never going anywhere. God knows we have flaws. God knows how the world works around us. And so with His wisdom and power, He gave us something to save us. He gave us His cross. We come to church because we need something, and all we need is our Savior. And I get pumped up when I'm, I usually don't get as, as loud or as animated, but this is some stuff that you just can't pass up. And in the book of Romans, it's stated perfectly. It should be up there on verse 16. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. That we have a chance to spread this news, that there are divisions, and we are the chance. We get this chance to minister to other people to stop those. We get to unify the church and say, I believe in this. Let me tell you a little bit more why. You're all pastors sitting in that chair. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of this ultimate plan that God's given us. And we're almost done. I promise I won't talk your ear off. So we're going to roll into verse 27. 
Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose them things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose these things despised by the world. I want to repeat that section one more time. This is how important it is. God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. And used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. You may think you're ahead of the curve. These people thought they were ahead of the curve, and God flips it. How can he do such things? How do, do you have any examples for me? Well, we thought of God as big. And God came down as a small human baby. You thought of God as demanding. And he came down as a giver. You thought of God as a master. And he came down as a servant, washing feet and healing. You thought of God as mighty. And he came down as a sacrificial lamb. Everything that they thought they were looking for. God says, you don't know what you're looking for. I have this covered. Look to me and I will deliver for you. Just look upon your own souls. Look apart how smart God is. And as we close out in verse 29, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And this is a church that loves boasting about the Lord because it's the best thing to boast about. As we look upon this cross, each time I, I see a cross, I try to gaze it a little bit longer because it means so much more. Like I said, it's not just an item. This is our Savior. This is our way to freedom. This is everything we ever needed for us. And it was provided from God. That's the most powerful thing. There's power in the blood. And there's power in the message of the cross. It's not my preaching that gives the word of God power. It's the word of God that gives my preaching power. Because this is all that matters. I could have gotten off the stage left this cross up here and we just could have stared at it for this entire message and talk, use your own testimony of what the cross means to you because that's what it's all about. God can look inside of all of us and see where we're right with them. That we can see the significance of the cross. That we can see how much it means to us because we believe in how big our God is. We live in a society where we look towards the best. We look towards the strongest. 
look towards the richest. We look who has the most tweets. We look who has the most followers. We look at power. But Christ is mighty power. Every moment of every day, as we gaze upon the cross, pray for the ones that have fallen behind. Pray for the ones that don't see the glory that we are able to see. As I mentioned, start ministering to these people. Start showing them the power of the cross. That Jesus conquered death. That we have everlasting life because of Jesus giving us his life. And isn't it funny that as a state, us foolish are actually the wisest because we believe in a simple message of a cross saving us all. Because when I look at the cross, I see God's perfect plan. I look around in this room and I see so many fans of Jesus. I see so much love. I see a church that can come together midweek, worship together, fellowship together, and just being and joining in each other's company. And it's all because God has given this chance to sit to the person next to you. And we all have this chance to be saved. We all have this chance to have eternal life. And the chance is by the cross and everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time together that you can take a a simple message and a simple man and just try to share your gospel, Lord. That any words used in favor of you are good words, Lord. That we look to you for guidance, we look to you for peace. We thank you so much for the salvation you've given us. That we will face trials in life. We will face people that don't understand the significance of the cross. That they look at this cross and say, there's no power. There's no hope. Your plan was foolish, God. But God, help us rise up. Give us the confidence. Let us boast about Jesus, Lord. Let us love on everyone and say, you may not be there yet, but you're going to be there. Our Lord and Savior is waiting for you. All you have to do is come aboard. God, I thank you so much that your plan is so much bigger and better than my plan. That if we have roadblocks in our life right now, let's just get out of the way. Let's stop these divisions in our own life. Let's stop divisions in our own church and let you take care of our lives. Let you take care of our church and just take control of the lives because you are so much more superior than us, Lord. Your blood is power. Your blood is wisdom. There are never enough words to say thank you enough for the unity that we have together. I ask you to give power to each and every person walking out these doors to go out and spread that gospel. Whether it be to family members, co-workers, 
little ones, relatives. God, this is your word. Use these people. Take them. Let them know that salvation is there for them. All they have to do is accept you, Christ Jesus. We thank you for this time. We give you our lives, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here.